Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi everyone and welcome to Squiggly Careers Podcast. I'm Sarah, one of the co-hosts of the podcast. And this week is one of our special guest episodes. So I'm not here with Helen, I'm joined by Scott Morrison. Hi, nice to be here. And Scott is somebody I've known for actually quite a few years now. Our paths kept crossing. And you know when you start to think, oh, I think the world wants us to keep colliding uh, (laughs) and we've got a lot in common. And Scott has actually got a suitably squiggly career himself in terms of his background. Started your career, I think, working actually in advertising Mm -hmm, on brands like Nike. Moved over and worked client side to be marketing director at Diesel. It's all very cool, Scott. You've got a very cool squiggly (laughs) career. Uh, And now, you know, you're continuing the call as an entrepreneur founder of a company called is it bringer of the boom or just boom just the boom just, it's just the, the boom, boom. Yeah. exclamation my, mark yeah my title is the founder and bringer of ah. I, I do most of the stuff so i like it the thing i actually loved the most when i was kind of researching your biog and when you're you know i was thinking i want to make sure i do a good job of introducing you i read that the three mantras that you live by are learn by doing make things people want and the cult of done Yes. Which I just thought, that's what a, what a lovely thing to think about. And I think for all of our listeners, actually, I was thinking, that's already a really good top tip is what are the mantras that you live by? Yeah, oh, brilliant. Well, that, just on the cult of done, actually, because you were saying you know, listeners like to uh, look at resources and things yes, that they can use. Yeah. The cult of done is a wonderful, it's a 13-point mantra. Right. It was written by three people who all they kept doing was procrastinating. So one day they just said, we've got to stop procrastinating. Let's just write a whole series of rules that will stop us procrastinating. And they wrote what's now regarded as kind of like the thing to go to if you want to procrastinate, if you don't want to procrastinate, rather. Oh, that's really interesting. It's called the cult of done. You can just get it off the web. It's dead easy, really simple, but it just really helps you keep moving forward and stop procrastinating. Oh, what's fascinating about that is it came from being the opposite. I thought it was going to be, oh, you know, people who are like very into like get stuff done, done is better than perfect. But it actually came from someone going, I need to be that. Yeah, yeah, so we're going to write ourselves almost like some rules to keep us on track. Always the best. And, and we're going to talk about it later. But it's a classic example of how you learn. So you learn some learned behavior and then how you unlearn that and then relearn. But you do it in a really positive way and you use it to move forward correctly. So that's good. And so you've really nicely introduced kind of the focus for today. So Scott is one of the authors of a book called Creative Superpowers. And that book is actually divided into four sections. It's a really interesting book, which I'll review at the end, as I always do with my guests um, who bring books to the podcast. And those four sections are about being a maker, hacker, thief and teacher. And it's the teaching one that we're going to focus on today. And really this idea of what does it mean to learn unlearn and relearn Mm. it's not a language I think that many people will be familiar with so I think it'll be really interesting to explore so we're going to start by talking a bit about reframing what it means to be a teacher 
we'll talk a bit about good old growth mindset, which whenever we have the opportunity to do, we, we do quite a lot. Carol we like Dweck. we are the biggest fangirls of Carol Dweck, I think it's fair to say. We're going to focus a lot on how to teach yourself. So once you actually kind of get into the mindset of thinking, what is it I need to learn? How do I take accountability for my own learning? Almost the practicalities of how do I actually do that? Some ideas, some hints and tips. And then we'll talk a little bit at the end of the podcast about creativity and the role of creativity in everyone's life. Because I think that's one of the things that certainly in all the sessions, Scott, you and I have had together mm. and reading the book that really struck me is I didn't really feel like this was just for people who work in the creative industries. I felt like this was really for all of us. And I, I'm one of those people who really believes that everybody is creative in their own Absolutely way. Absolutely right. So let's start with this idea of reframing what it means to be a teacher. I was thinking back to if you said to me, what does being a teacher mean to you? And my experience of school, it was really being told the answers. Mm. And I was actually one of those very recipient kind of learners, but in quite a um, receive mode, quite shy, quite introverted. I didn't really want to interact, but I was very happy to sit and absorb and be told. And actually, I think that continued into certainly the first part of my career mm. where I sort of just did what I was told. I saw whoever I was working for as my teacher and I was like, well, if you tell me what you want me to do or what you want me to learn, I'll work really hard yes. and I'll, I'll do a really good job of that. Yeah. But almost I won't really think for myself. So what was the kind of spark for you that made you think, OK, we need to think about what we mean when we say teaching? Is it Was it your kind of childhood experiences of teaching? <laughs> was it your experience getting into working in advertising? The funny thing is that there is absolute space in the kind of world of teaching for both, for that yeah. kind of definition of teaching. And the big context for us was, we're talking about the age of creativity. So, A, we believe everyone's creative. But yeah. B, we believe right now has never been a better time to be more creative than ever. And part of that is when you look online and you, you can find teaching videos, you, you can learn how to code in two days. You yeah. can learn how to play the piano via video. You can do all these things. And a lot of it is free and it's available. And so that made us think, well, actually, if we rely on the old way of thinking about teacher you're just going to sit and wait for things to come your way. You're mm -hmm. going to sit and wait to receive this information, this knowledge. And actually, in the age of creativity, now is the time to stop sitting and waiting for stuff to land at your, at your lap. Actually, actively go out and seek the things that you want to do, the gaps that you have in your knowledge and understanding, and the opportunities that you really want to do for yourself and actively become your own teacher. Mm. And so access this free world of incredible resource and use it to really upskill yourself and do the things that you really want to do and empower your own creativity rather than waiting for everything to kind of happen for you yeah. and land for you. And because, of course, that kind of worked. I mean, when I was, I was mm. like you in my first part of my career, I just absorbed loads and loads of stuff because there wasn't other stuff to learn from. No. And I think now our careers and the whole idea of having a squiggly career, of course, is that you start in one thing. And then actually you've got access to learn loads of different things to actually understand what it is that you really want to do. And then when you understand that, you can then go deeper into the learning at very low cost. You can speak to people on the other side of the world. You have access. To, I mean, there's things like masterclass, you know, the online yeah. things. We, you have access to like the world's top film directors. All this stuff is there. And it just means that we need to kind of reset our mindset a little bit and stop thinking about, I'll just wait for it to come. But yeah. actually, what do I want? And how can I actively go and seek it? Yeah, one of the things that we often say to people is be really clear about what you want to learn and why. Mm. And I think it often is because of the education system, probably people are still coming out of and 
some of the kind of old rules of work that are very much still present in lots of organisations, people will often say to me, um, tell me what course I need to go on. Yeah. Tell me what I need to do. Yes. And my question back will often be, well, what are you trying to learn and, and why do you want to learn that? I don't mind helping curate your own your own almost like learning curriculum. Yes. This is the thing I think we should all have now for ourselves is going, be really clear about what you want to learn and then make your own curriculum. And some of that could be just talking to people. Some of that could be the online resources. There is so much out there now. Yeah. And again, I do sometimes feel that people are sometimes going, oh, I want my manager to do the hard work yes. for me. Yeah. You know, you tell me what to do or what to learn and I'll go off and do that. And I don't think that's necessarily that people are lazy. I think it's more the kind of, unconscious ways that we're just used to working totally and actually getting people to kind of interact and I think particularly just take ownership for your own teaching yes I do think it is quite a big shift I think for people to do that you see it being a bit of a light bulb moment yeah for people and I think if you're managing if you're listening to this and you're a manager or a leader you can also really enable that culture by asking all the right questions by encouraging people to help themselves and then I think you become a an enabler, a supporter, you can help fuel that, but understanding that everybody has their own kind of personal way of learning and different learning styles. Yeah. You know, traditionally, I don't know about you, but I did lots of quite formal education stuff, even in organisations where you sit in a classroom. Yes. And actually, I would observe lots of people don't learn that way. No. That's not the best way of learning. My way of learning, well, literally, as you know from my mantra, is learning by doing. So yeah. quite often I'm happy just to get thrown into something mm. and learn on the job. I mean... An easy way of helping you start to reframe this stuff is if somebody could share with you all the mistakes that they've already made so that you don't have to make them in the next stage of your career. And they just walked through this door now and said, I'm going to tell you everything that I've done wrong yeah. so you don't have to do it. You know, you wouldn't turn around and go, now, you know what? Thanks very much. I'll, I'll just do those mistakes myself. Well, you might if you really want to truly learn. But what I mean is the ability now to do that. Everybody is out there being very, very transparent. Leaders, startup people, everyone is there sharing their learnings so that you don't have to make the same mistakes that they've made, which helps you have a much stronger platform for growth than if previously, if you had no knowledge and you just kept on doing the same things that everyone else has done, going down the same cul-de-sacs and falling through the same traps. Yeah. So if you look at it like that and go, before I embark on this next part of my career, I may as well just learn all the pitfalls and all the mistakes that someone else has made so I've got them on my radar... And I'm going to think about how I make sure I don't do those kind of things. I'm going to learn all about that. That'd be a great starting point for anybody, frankly. And probably you're going to have even more challenges or kind of new challenges that you can't anticipate. So you're going to, you know, the amount of change and resilience that I think people need now is even higher. Mm. And so actually, if you can equip yourself in the best possible way for those things, uh, I think that's really helpful. You talk about in the book, somebody who was new to me, a guy called Alvin Toffler. Yes. And there was a lovely quote um, that I just wanted to share that's from the book that basically I have stopped (laughs) reading. Um, I sort of do divide my books into the whole fiction, nonfiction. And when I'm reading nonfiction books, I now will only read them with a highlighter and a pen, because I find that if I don't do that, I don't engage with them in the same yes. way, I don't kind of absorb it and almost like learn from it in the same way. Yeah. So this was one of the highlighted sections. Very good. Uh, so his quote is, the illiterate of the 21st century won't be those who can't read or write, but those who can't learn, unlearn and relearn. Essentially the idea that we all need to be able to teach ourselves. Mm. So tell me a bit about him, because he's obviously quite a big influence through the whole of your chapter, I thought. Yeah. And then let's talk about how his ideas relate to Carol Dweck's. Yes. I mean, Alvin Toffler was effectively a futurist. He wrote uh, an interesting book called Future Shock, which was written back in the 70s. And in it, funnily enough, he predicted the rise of digital, the the kind of 
the breakdown of society actually through social media. So he's some of the stuff he's written is very, very prescient. But that quote was the thing that stood out for me when I started thinking about reframing what teacher is. And the reason for that is actually, if you go back and look in time, at the beginning of the 20th century, around about 73% of the world or something like that was illiterate, actually right. illiterate. And now that's come down to, I don't know, something like 18%. It's still relatively high. But if you think that actually at the beginning of the 21st century, if we use Alvin Toffler's kind of temperature gauge for what illiteracy is in the 21st century, that means we've got a huge proportion of people. And when we think about people, I also think about people, teams, organisations mm-hmm. who are not learning, unlearning and relearning. So we've, if we think we've got this level of illiteracy now, at the time when we've got the most incredible opportunity to be more creative than ever, you've got this kind of big yeah, clashing set of things happening. And that's what really made me think, because the power of the quote for me is there's a real level of self-awareness in people and in organisations in order to bring that quote to life. Mm. Because in the first instance, you've got to be able to go right. And confidence. You've got to have a confidence. And confidence, absolutely. To say, like, I need to keep learning. Yeah. And well, in the first instance, you've got to be able to say, do you know what? All this stuff that I know, not all of it, by the way, it's not about dumping huge chunks, but... You might actually find as you move into a, another part of your career, 50% of what you know mm-hmm. is of no use to you whatsoever. Mm. And it's funny, when you do start your own business, you suddenly realise, I mean, I have now after five years, that the backstory of my kind of CV or my experience has kind of become less and less kind of relevant mm-hmm. to, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, okay, Scott, so you were an account director, you ran the Nike business. That's kind of cool, but so what, you know? Yeah. Um, it's like, what have you done in the last few years? So. All the stuff that I talked about earlier in my career or things that I learned from that sort of stuff is now actually pretty redundant, a lot of it. Some of it's still relevant, but some of it's redundant. But having that knowledge and understanding, being able to say, actually, I'm going to unlearn. So I'm going to stop using that knowledge. I'm going to stop thinking about those things and stop those behaviours. It's not just a, a mental thing. It's also about behavioural stuff. But I'm going to have to go and relearn what it takes to be someone running your own business, someone who is a creative consultant or somebody who is running a startup. And once you have that level of self-awareness and that confidence to be able to step into that new way of thinking about how you learn, genuinely is life-changing. I mean, it genuinely is. You know, it is all about having a growth mindset. It is all about going, well, do you know what? Underpinning all of that, I know I can constantly learn. I know that I need to understand more. You know, I've got to overcome different challenges. If you have that growth mindset, then... Learn, unlearn and relearn is kind of like the sidekick to your superpower of having a growth mindset. Yeah, and I think I follow uh, Reid Hoffman, who's the founder of LinkedIn, Mm, on um, Instagram. And he does a a really good podcast called Masters of Scale. And he does very kind of pithy, but I think very insightful kind of advice. And one of the things that he was saying about who you should recruit if you're in a startup or, you know, you want to get the best talent. His number one thing was recruit intense learners. Yes. And I thought, oh, that's really interesting. And I think often what's starting to break down, though I don't think it's fully there yet, is the idea that as you progress in your career, you should know everything. Mm. And certainly I think I felt that probably when I was in some of the first leadership roles. You know, you feel this pressure to think, oh, I'm sort of meant to be in charge here in some capacity. I feel like I should know the answers. Whereas, and this is why I think confidence plays quite a big role in this, you've got to be confident in going, actually, my job is not to know all of the answers. My job is probably to actually help everybody being confident in 
relearning, the unlearning and relearning. Yes. I really liked your what's relevant versus what's redundant. Yes. Figuring that out, probably both individually and collectively as a team or as an organisation, because yeah. you say some things will stay and yeah. some things you've got to go, oh, we've got to let go of that. And that could be quite hard, can't it, to let go of some of those things that probably you've invested quite a lot of time and, and energy in. Absolutely. I often speak about these things. So there's two things. I mean, I do a lot of exec coaching, so one-to-one with sort of CEOs and CMOs and stuff. And, and once they have that moment of enlightenment that yeah. you just mentioned, actually, right, I don't have to have all the answers. You can see their shoulders just drop. And then they realise that, yeah, I've got an incredible team around me and I just need to understand the strengths of everyone in that team and allow them to play to their strengths. And then I've got more time to do what I need to do and because people's careers can stall. Yeah. On the basis of the fact that they're not learning, unlearning and relearning. They're still holding on to that kind of like a middle management sort of mentality. Yeah. When I was an account supervisor, I was in control of everything. Yeah, yeah. And then to make the step up, you've got to relearn that holding on to everything is not useful. No. Holding on to what's important is useful, but not holding on to everything. So when you're making a decision, it's based on a really kind of objective, well thought through response rather than I know everything, I know everything. Having the proximity to knowing everything means that you don't make the right decision in the first place. And actually, when you challenge yourself on that statement, when you say, oh, is it realistic as a leader or actually in any position to know everything? Obviously, the answer is no. (laughs) You get to, you get to. Okay, it's sort of weird that we ever believe that that was a thing. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So let's move on to now some of the ideas. So hopefully by now people are listening and they're kind of bought into the right, you know, I need to be an intense learner. I want to really adopt this learning, unlearning, relearning mentality. I think lots of our listeners will be like, they'll be the keen beans. They're going to be the early adopters of this. So what do we want them to be doing? What does this actually kind of look like in terms of the actions that you might take? On a very basic level, let's just start with something that people can do right now rather than we we delve into the book. Um, 
I often just run an exercise with people and I just get them to sit down for five minutes and just in their head work out a challenge for themselves. Preface the challenge with, in what ways might I, so let's say, in what ways might I become a stronger account director, let's mm-hmm. just say, or whatever it is that they want to do in their career. And start to have a think about that kind of stuff. And then literally take a piece of paper, draw a line down the middle, and then write unlearn and relearn. Okay. And with the context of the challenge you have in your head, think about what are the behaviours or the things that are holding you back, all the things that are stopping you from making that leap to where you want to get to. Write down, or in the unlearn column, you know, you might say things like, I need to stop being so aggressive rather than assertive, I, you know, blah, blah, blah. Write them all down. And then right next to it, based on that, what do I need to relearn? So if I want to stop this, I need to stop doing this thing or these, stop these mm-hmm. things stopping me. I need to start doing these things. And sometimes the things that are stopping you might be, my boss doesn't listen to me in meetings. I don't know. Or I'm struggling to get buy-in from the board. That's preventing me. So then write in the thing, what do you need to relearn? And for them, they say it's just cathartic to get everything, just to think through all the things that are stopping me and then work out taking responsibility in the first place because you're making a choice. Half the time, you're making a choice for these things to stop you progressing. But then once they do that, they get the relearn list and then they go, right, I'm now going to do my learning plan based on the relearn list. And you might just have six things. You might say, right, I'm going to speak to my boss about doing this. I want to take a course on assertiveness i'm yeah. gonna read a couple of articles every day on you know how to run a PL. I don't know but all these things suddenly it's all about first and foremost awakening yourself to the fact that there are things that you know now that are not useful for you anymore and behaviors that you're doing that are not useful for you anymore you just need to find a way of unlearning them stopping doing them yeah. and relearning new things and that five minute exercise for everybody i've seen people come away you know just with a big smile on their face going, right, I kind of know now. I've got some direction at least on what I need to do next to learn. Yeah, I think that's fascinating and quite an easy way to start. In the book, you talk about a couple of other examples um, that I wanted to mention because I just thought they were really lovely ways of learning. (laughs) One which was learning in reverse. So this is the idea that often you feel like you learn from teachers and there's an implication in a teacher that they are older, wiser more Mm. experienced and it's not to say that those people are not still useful but the idea of actually being open to learning from people who perhaps at the very start of their career or have just got a different skill set to you and finding learning in lots of places one example i saw actually at sainsbury's which is where the board actually all had digital reverse kind of reverse Ah, mentors not necessarily reverse it was just like a different skill set so people with real digital knowledge and know-how and I think that's probably a slightly quite a classic example I've seen some other big organizations do that and actually one of the other things I used to do when we used to have new people joining organizations I did it at Sainsbury's and the advertising agency I worked at was something called Fresh Eyes Feedback which was again going I can learn an awful lot about what it's like to work here from people who've only worked here for three months Mm. because actually they've seen it with different perspective different eyes they've not quite been kind of lost in the midst of all of the day-to-day and the busyness and actually I always felt like doing those listening sessions I learned more from those in terms of what we needed to do about culture or people or what we were doing really well and we needed to protect than actually if I'd have had people who were much more experienced yes kind of kind of in that room absolutely have you seen any other examples of where that's worked particularly well or things that people could do if they were thinking oh I'd like to learn from some different people yeah well I'll give the context for the for the chap so this was written by Nadia and um Nadia Powell Powell. she has some really good experiences of actually using the younger people in the organization 
to learn from and give advice mm. on various different business issues, which helped give her a different perspective. And I think that's the key thing for anybody about uh, learning, unlearning and relearning is getting fresh perspectives or different perspectives on where you are and what you're doing and what your point of view might be. I used to find a lot when I was at Diesel, when we created marketing and did all these big ideas and stuff, actually just going around all the store staff and speaking to the store staff who were yeah. generally a lot a, a lot younger, a lot cooler, <laughs> uh, and, and actually more street smart and knowing what was going on in their city far more than we did clearly in London. Yeah. And we used to have loads of different things where we would get them to send ideas in and we'd make ideas happen or we, we gave a kind of an overarching theme and said, right, you guys need to turn this into something that happens in your market. I did that quite frequently and Levi's, we did the same. But I also found a lot when I was in advertising you would learn more from the young creatives in speaking to the younger creatives who just come in or the work experience people who had no kind of understanding of what was going on in advertising on things like your briefs, the way you were thinking, on creative direction and basically any opportunity you can have that gives you a different perspective on the thing that you are thinking about or just your general point of view yeah. is really just really useful because it just helps you think, I'm so glad that I did that because the way that I was thinking about it would have taken me down this direction. And actually, because I've sort of, I've unlearned that little bit, I've relearned something new. I now know it needs to go down this direction. I had a wonderful, I did a, a thing with the Evening Standard last year. It was kind of celebrating young people in London, how to get ahead in London. And as a result of that, I started mentoring a wonderful um, young photographer called Sule Kelly, brilliant guy. I've been working with him and mentoring him for the last 12 months I'd say okay. and we had our recent session he's just gone back to his home country for summer and halfway through we we're talking and I was talking about to him about digital media and everything else and I said hang on I'm just going to stop right now you need to tell me what I need to do with yeah, my yeah. Me digital media I'm I can't mentor you on this this is your and we had the most incredible hour long chat and I'll tell you it has changed the way that I use digital media and the way that I you know, use my Instagram. It really helped shape my perspective on what I needed to do. And it shook me up because it re I was like, no, I know how to do this. Or I, I think I know how to do it. And I want it to look like that. He was like, no, no, it needs to look like this. This is what <laughs> you need to do. And I was like, do you know what? I'm taking that. Yeah. Uh, and because, A, it's free advice, which is what we're talking about in the first yeah. place. But it's someone who knows, someone who knows that world 10 times better than I ever will know it. So if you're not taking that kind of perspective from people, then you are you're really just leaving stuff on the table and that just doesn't make sense. Yeah, and I think Helen and I find that when we were in workshops with Amazing If, because we are almost like learning directly by doing, we're doing workshops, often people put you on a pedestal as an expert yeah. and they'll think, Well, you've run these workshops for six years, you've done lots you know, thousands of people. Genuinely every time we run one of them, I always feel like I am learning just as much yeah. because you're getting you're interacting with people and you're seeing how they use those exercises. Mm -hmm. They're suggesting ways to make them better, yeah. more relevant, or they just come up with something completely left field and you just think, Oh yeah. yeah. That, that's <laughs> that, that's better. Yeah. That's that's a better idea. And I think you've just got to have almost the vulnerability and openness to changing direction. And sometimes I think it's okay to pause for thought and think, okay, well, that's almost shook me a bit. Yeah. And I've definitely had some of these conversations as we're getting some mentoring now that we were in our own business. Yeah. And yeah, we both come from massive corporate careers and we're going, oh, this is different. There's two of us, not 200,000. Yeah, and that, yeah. well, that's yeah, the context totally we both different. come from. Yeah. And it's funny, the questions that entrepreneurs ask us, whether those entrepreneurs are 22 or mm. 62, 
are completely different to, say, the mentors that we have, probably because we've met them in our corporate lives. Yeah. And they ask us questions that we don't know the answers to. Yes. And that makes us feel really uncomfortable. Our observation is they are the best questions. Absolutely. So I think it's just knowing that sometimes going through that learning process isn't always a comfortable process. Certainly, um, I almost accidentally went to a networking thing the other week where it was improv. Um, <laughs> improv plus being an introvert, I nearly died. Right. But you know when you come out of it going... I've learned so much more by doing, by doing that improv, by learning with different people in a different environment. Yeah. And it definitely took me out of my comfort yeah, zone. Yeah, you know, you're great. kind of in that kind of slightly sweaty and anxious zone. Yeah. And I only wanted to do it for 90 minutes and I was like, that'll definitely do. But by doing, I was like, I've learned, if I'd have read a book on improv, it would have been a completely different experience to doing. Yeah, you've just got to jump to, in To, to do doing it. improv. Absolutely. And one of the things, you know, I'm still mulling it over. So um, in the spirit of learning and growing, <laughs> when I was reading about Hyper Island, who are a company that do sort of digital training development yeah. in quite in a really progressive way, they talk about learn by doing, but he actually, I think it's the founder who rephrases it where he calls it doing by learning. Yeah. And I was still getting my head around the difference between learn by doing and doing by learning, so if you can enlighten me, great. But what's really interesting is he, he does talk about this 10-point plan of almost going, don't have learning as something that is separate to your day job. Mm. That's the thing that I think I still observe quite regularly when we're doing workshops is that spending some time on learning, I still hear quite a lot that I'll spend 15 minutes on a Friday yeah. or half an hour on a Friday, and that'll be my time for me. Yeah. And I think this is actually quite a radical a new approach to actually every day yes. making learning just part of everything that you do yeah. rather than feeling like a separate activity yeah. is that how you sort of interpret it from like speaking to is it david david erickson david, yeah. yeah i mean it's a slightly nuanced thing yes, you're doing by learning i think that's why i sort of went back and forth a few times is it the same thing yeah i mean i i allow people just to translate it how they want to translate it fundamentally means pretty much the same thing yeah however i mean i'm the same i run workshops with people and i and I'm always amazed, you know, it's like whenever I speak to everybody, I think, how much of this are you doing every day? How much are you mm. embedding, especially when I'm doing leadership coaching? And for me, this is the whole point is you've really got to get out of your comfort zone whenever you're doing. I mean, just actually in day to day, try and do something a little bit scary every day if you can. But be moving into your stretch zone all the time. And I think the thing is, people often think of learning as this big, what is huge mm. thing. I'm going on this huge course. So I've got to read this 20-point plan. <laughs> and, uh, and most of the learning I do, by the way, is because people say, oh, you must read loads. I say, well, I kind of read, yeah. I'm not, I'm not a voracious reader, so I'm not, mm -hmm. I'm not like one of these startup dudes that says I read 30 books a day. I'm yeah. like, yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> um, well, what I do do is I, I subscribe, and I, this is a good way of learning every day for mm -hmm. people. I just subscribe to like medium and things like that with really precise bits of learning that I have. So if, if you've done the right. exercise, if, if yeah, people yeah. are following us and done the exercise of unlearning and relearning and you've made yourself a little plan, and it only has to be a little plan, by the way, yeah. break it down into what you can do every single day or how you might incorporate it into your work life. Even if it's on my commute for the next six months, I'm going to read two articles. And again, make it small, bite-sized, manageable. Read the two articles and then make sure you take the practice from the articles and use it. But just make everything usable, actionable and real. And then learning just becomes a part of your day. Yeah, I wonder if it's a difference between learning being almost like who you are versus what you do. That's, That's deep. And, uh, and, <laughs> I, this is what happens, you see, when Helen's not here, I get you quite get philosophical. Right and I'm yeah, like, oh, yeah. she's not here to stop me. This is, this is amazing. But I do wonder if the, 
people who I see who do this day in, day out, and I think you're always trying to get even better at it. And, you know, with the growth mindset thing, we talk about being spongy. You're always trying to be as spongy as you can be. I think it's just that they have almost made an active choice as to like, that's how I'm going to be. Mm, Like learning is just going to, that's going to be part of it. And I get that that's a good thing. And I think I was reading something about um, this idea of putting together almost like action and reflection. So almost you are doing it continuously rather than feeling like, oh, I'll do something for six months and then I'll reflect. I actually remember learning in a very formal environment where I did go and do one of those big courses over at Harvard, which you always think sounds very scary and I was very intimidated. What was very different about how they taught us there, which took a bit of reframing for me, but I think is very much actually what we are talking about is everything is done by case study. So you don't learn any theory, really. You have case studies that you kind of delve into that are real company examples. And actually you learn by going, there's some questions like, well, what would you do? Would you buy the company? Would you not? You're doing it in a group. You're learning by doing. And I remember the first time we did one going like, well, what's the answer? So almost like, did I get the answer right to buy the company or not buy the company? And they probably spent 2% of the time talking about, what the actual outcome was, because they just weren't interested. Mm. They were like, well, that's not that's not the point. Yeah. The point is in the case studies, in the learning by doing, is how did you get to that decision? Why did you get to that decision? And it's like taking the action and then the reflection. Yeah. You know, you, like you said, I do think you sometimes have one of these like transformational moments where you see it done differently. Yes. And actually that was very different to any other learning I'd ever had in the UK. Yeah. And suddenly I went, oh, okay, so fixed mindset is often about feeling like you have to get the right answer and I always say I was the kid at school that would only put my hand up if I knew if I knew the answer was right like no way was I going to get it wrong and even then I remember sitting in that room and being like because they would literally pick on you which for me was always terrifying and they literally be like Sarah what do you think and I'd be like oh I don't know if this is the right answer (laughs) but that's not the point the point is just like no no just what do you think and let's talk about that so I think it's just um it's just a different way of being and probably one of the more left field examples I just want to touch on very briefly, you talk about something called street wisdom um, in the book, which I think lots of people won't have heard of. Um, It's still quite new to me. A few of my friends have done it, but actually I haven't ever done it um, myself. You need to come on the next one. I know, and I love to walk. So um, perhaps tell us a bit more about that. So five years ago, I was invited by Gemma Greaves, you know Gemma, to this thing called street wisdom, which was, it was running in Soho. It was uh, a cold kind of morning (laughs) and I was told we're going to go in be inspired by the streets and I was like okay I'll go and do it, I'll do it with Gemma. <laughs> and it was one of the best things I've ever done I was so glad that I did it and what is so brilliant about it is a it's kind of rooted in this idea of Les Flaneurs who are the famous Parisian people just used to walk around uh, Paris and they were kind of like the A to Z of Paris at the time but they would okay. give their views on the world but you know famously they would say that you know my mind only works with my feet so Lovely. it's this kind of that. concept of <laughs> actually we are at our best to think and think with clarity, particularly around creativity and, and learning, when we are walking and we have time and space to actually think. Mm-hmm. And street wisdom is that plus kind of like Jungian theory of intent and alignment. So if you walk out into the world with a very, very clear challenge in your head, and you're stating intent to the world. I, I want to think about this intently and I really want to solve this challenge your brain and the world creates alignment. Okay, yeah. 
So, so it's almost like the conscious, you know, the conscious thing of like once you start, say you're going to buy a certain car, exactly. and then you see and the car see, all the time. Yeah, it's that, the that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's exactly the same. It's actually one of the most underpowered business tools that you can have because it's still, you know, if you state intent, you get alignment in business as well. That's a whole different story. But in the case of street wisdom, what happens is we, we take people out on the street and the street is an incredible, almost like a university in many ways. Mm-hmm. Because when you're not looking, when you're just walking from work to sandwich shop and back, yeah. you never notice anything. When you set a challenge in your head, like if you buy a new car, suddenly you notice everything. Yeah. You notice 100 cars around that you want. And we take people on the street first. We tune them up. We do a series of mindfulness exercises for 40 minutes. And then you have an hour to go and explore the street with your challenge in your mind. My challenge was... Can I start my own business? And I literally went down the street and I bumped into three people I hadn't worked with for six months. I hadn't seen for six months. And each of them said, yes, here's somebody you need to go and speak to. You'd be brilliant at it. Go and do it. And it just gave me the confidence to start my own business five years ago. And as a result, I went up to David afterwards and said, look, I don't know how we're going to work together, but we are just going to work together. That was the, one of the first Street Wisdoms. It's now in 44 countries saw, around the world. yeah, it's massive. Um, I'm a director of the business. I still run Street Wisdoms. David and I ran one a couple of weeks ago. But it's an incredible way of helping people become very self-aware of what they want to unlearn and relearn in many ways. If you yeah. set yourself that challenge and give yourself the time, the street gives you... I mean, people see posters or they go and speak to somebody or they find something on the floor that just suddenly becomes very meaningful for them. And it just helps you break free of the kind of mundanity of everyday living, yeah. but really focus on what it is that you want to relearn. And actually, I've um, what I'm hoping is that David and I might have a go at doing a podcast yes, while walking. Course. Yeah, oh, that'd be great. That was yeah. that was my pitch to him. <laughs> I was like, maybe fantastic. we maybe we should try and do both, um, which made me nervous because I was thinking about all the tech and stuff. But I thought, no, let's yeah, try and he, keep learning I mean, sure. he, and he see if we could do it differently. In walking along, okay, so sure well, he'll he'll probably that. be a pro. Yeah. So just to finish on kind of the role of creativity and technology. There was something in the book by, I think, somebody who was speaking from Deloitte, um, which I thought was really helpful, you know, when you're talking about what's the role of technology going to be? Am I going to be replaced by a robot, etc.? And I think he said, I'm not worried about technology replacing me. I'm waiting for it to release me. I am actually seeing at the moment a bit of a shift in terms of people... I think a lot of technology has been imposed on people in some ways. It was just sort of happened to people almost unconsciously without people realising what was happening. Mm. And suddenly there is all these technology and tools and you could be always on if you wanted to be. I'm starting to see a shift in people actually going, that technology is there to work for me, that kind of release me point. It's there to make my life easier. I have to work out my own operating system for how I want that technology to work for me. That's interesting when it comes to creativity because do you think that some areas of creativity are going to be replaced by technology, which will just free us up to do different types of creativity? Or do you not see that yet? Because I've seen the AI books, you know, the books that have been written by a robot where you can't tell. And I'm like, I've just written a book. Does that mean that a robot (laughs) in about a year's time is going to write a better version of my book, which probably wouldn't be that hard, but I don't know. (laughs) I, I, I mean, truth is, I don't know. But I think if we start with what we do know, the human brain is the most complicated, incredible piece of technology ever designed, and we only ever use, I don't even know what the statistics are, but yeah. 10% of it or something crazy, right? And I totally agree with the fact that you know, when you look at technology that comes out, VR, we go, oh, wow, we can do these roller coasters and we can look like we're roller coastering space. And in actually, in reality, I think in five years' time, actually, VR will become 
a really great tool for people in offices to have virtual meetings where yeah. we all sit together. It won't be anything creative about it at all. It will be a very practical. functional, yeah. practical. And that tends to be what happens with a lot of technology. It becomes quite functional and practical once we find the right use for it. I actually think the most perfect blend of all of this stuff is human and machine together. Mm-hmm. The machine will do all the heavy lifting. So in my other business, we use Watson and it creates, right, yeah. we transform huge amounts of qualitative research data turn it into quant data in two seconds. That's great. The output of that means that somebody in a business can make a really smart decision based on what they have in front of them. That means they don't have to do all the legwork. So that's what most of this technology is there to do. It will augment the way that we live our lives. So we'll have a kind of a back end, almost like we'll have a a machine back end that automates all of our life and automates all the stuff that we don't really want to do. And we'll still have to be the front end making the right decisions making creativity and creative choices and creating the beauty that we see in the world. It could be a Terminator-esque future in 20 years. I don't know. But I, Demolition you know, Man. I, I, like, I really yes. liked Demolition, Demolition Man when I was growing up. So that's still my <laughs> idea be, of what the future's going right, to be. Okay. Uh, so the truth is, I don't know. But from what I do know, I think it will always be this blend of human and machine with a front end of the human and the back end being the kind of tech. Mm. Which is why I think creativity is relevant for everyone because to me creativity is just about, it's talked about as putting old ideas together in new ways. It's about problem solving, lateral thinking. I don't think it matters now what business you're in, what role you're in, whether you're in the NHS, whether you're an accountant, whether you're in marketing. Actually, that's where we add lots of the value is going taking that data and you know, ascribing meaning to it and putting it together in different ways to come up with new solutions. Totally. And actually just giving uh, everybody a bit of a context in terms of the book and having, you know, had a bit of a read and and reviewing it. That's one of the things that I really liked about Creative Superpowers is I did feel like it wasn't a book by creatives just for creative people, which sometimes there's a space for that. But I felt like this was more of a, actually, we can all be creative. And going back to that, the four sections on maker, hacker, thief and teacher... I felt like they were more mindsets. Mm. They were like all mindsets that you could kind of take to your everyday work, regardless of where you were. And I think that's really nice. It was actually also lovely to read a book that had such a nice global perspective because the uh, way the book is written, which is, I would say, a bit more unusual, it's not... There's four kind of main authors, is the way that I would describe it, but you have also gone off and got stories from lots of different people around the world, almost like curated those stories, some of which we've mentioned today, people like David, David and Nadia. So there's your point of view in there, but then you get three or four other points of view all within that one chapter. So that was really nice to sort of read different people's voices and opinions. I think it keeps it interesting and you just go, okay, well, that's that person's perspective and somebody else has got a slightly different take on it. And for people who like exercises, and I know lots of our listeners do, and we sort of had a go at doing one today, at the end of the book, there are some practical exercises for each of those four areas where it will literally talk you through them kind of step by step. So if you're then thinking, how do I take this back to work? Or maybe what could I do as a first step for myself? It's very easy to kind of digest and start taking action. My one even better if, say when my what went well, as I do what went well even better if. uh, My even better if, I think I would like to see some examples of traditional businesses so probably businesses that are in the they're sort of quite far away still from the things we've talked about today in terms of really embracing the unlearning and relearning because I think they're the toughest case studies I think they're Mm. personally I think they're the toughest nuts to crack where you've got 
some of the businesses I've worked for in the past, if you're Sainsbury's, you're 150 years old, you've got lots of people, lots of legacy systems. And now actually I did see Sainsbury's start to do this and adopt things like agile methodologies as a way to do projects and do projects really quickly, which I would argue is one way of doing the unlearning and relearning. Yes. So my idea for you for your next book, (laughs) so here's (laughs) 2.0 that I think you should do, is I always then go, I want to hear from lots of organisations who've almost taken the philosophies and those mindsets and gone, so this is what it meant to us. Yes. So, And I think they would be really different. Uh, mm. So it's more I was thinking that's what I'd like to read next from you. Oh, so yeah, if you could well, just we, uh, get, well, get on that, Scott. Well, we, we might, well it's, it's a great <laughs> point because, you know, it means actually it doesn't have to be a book because we could actually no. do them as case. We could actually it's case studies, case I suppose. Studies. Yeah, yeah. Um, Almost, we can we can call it out now. If anyone has read yeah. the book and has got case studies, please, all our contact details are in there. Yeah. Please share them with us because we are always highlighting and celebrating people talking about the book and their interaction with the book. Somebody described it very nicely in the way you have as well as a conference in a book. So you yeah, have yeah, a variety have of different vibe, voices. Yeah. You can dip in and dip out when you want. You don't have it's not sequential, so you can just read what you fancy at any given time. So. Yeah, that's a better description than mine. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna. That's what I would say. Conference in a book. That's, a I'm gonna steal in a that. Book. Yeah. And as always, we'll put all of the links to the resources and things that we've talked about today online on on the blog post with the uh, podcast. So just go to amazingif.com. So things like Hyper Island, Street Wisdom, links to the book where you can find out more about Scott. We'll make sure that's all included. Anything from you, Scott, that you would encourage people to either read, watch or listen to, things that you're finding really inspiring at the moment? Yeah, there's one book that I think everybody who wants to embrace their creativity, and I'm talking about creativity with a small c in the biggest, broadest possible sense, you know, and creativity particularly for squiggly careers. Yeah. Um, it's a book called The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield, and it is a really short read, okay. but it's so visceral in its truest form, it explains the tension, the internal tension, and how you deal with that whenever you're creating something new for yourself or a piece of artwork or changing your career. And it takes you through three stages of creative transformation as an individual. And it's, mm. and it's beautifully written. It's really short. Everyone I've spoken to who's read it has just gone, wow, this blew my mind. Okay. And it's still a, a little bit of a secret weapon because not, many people, yeah, have, no, not many people talk about it. But it's an incredible book. I encourage everybody to have a read who really wants to understand and explore their creativity. Love it. I'll find that on Amazon. It's not so obscure that you could. No, you can get it on okay, Amazon. Yeah, it on yeah, Amazon. Yeah, I, mean, I was like, I I gonna, am I going to have to like search this down? As well. Okay. Yeah, so I'll, I'll put or the... your local bookstore as well, by yes, the way. Yes, if you'd prefer not to do that. Um, we'll make sure the link for that is on there. We hope you found everything today really useful. As always, uh, we really appreciate your feedback and ideas for future episodes. If you want to find us on Instagram, we're just at amazingif, or you can email us at getintouchatamazingif.com. And if you have ideas for guests in the future, you know, if you know somebody who you think would have a really interesting point of view on making work better for everyone, that's always our lens by which yeah. we uh, choose to invite people for our kind of monthly special guests. If there's somebody you want to introduce us to or recommend us to, please do that. That's everything for this week. Thanks so much, Scott, for joining us. Thank you. Really enjoyed it. And we'll speak to you again next week. Bye for now. Hold up. What was that? 
Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.